Welcome to another episode of Winging It Motown Radio. I'm your host, Kyle. Uh, we've got JJ and Graham with us. We've got the skeleton crew tonight um, because uh, Jeff is off. Is he cheering for the Bruins tonight? I don't know what he's doing. He's working, I think. Um, no, he's not cheering for the Bruins because they're not in the playoffs because they're bad. Um, yeah, so playoffs, playoff hockey. Um, Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. We're three games deep into the uh, the heated matchup between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Detroit Red Wings. Um, lots of stuff going on. Lots of drama. Uh, good, good, good stuff. The Red Wings, uh, of course, dropped the first two in Tampa, uh, then came back and won the home opener in Detroit in a very impressive fashion. Um, so I guess what we can do is let's just go ahead and dissect the first two games, um, and then we can we can we can dive into the uh, game three, uh, the fun that was game three. Um, so the first two games, obviously they they didn't go the Red Wings' way. Uh, it was a kind of a kind of a frustrating uh, couple of games. It seemed like the Red Wings had. Uh, Really, they started both games really well, um, but it just uh, that Tampa Bay that same combination. Well, not same combination, but that Tyler Johnson line is just still the uh, the the factor against this team. They just seem to um, crush the Red Wings. Um, so I guess uh, obviously we 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 lost the game one three to two, lost game two five to two. Um, not very strong offensive outings from the Red Wings. Um, so I guess your guys' first reaction to that. Uh, Graham, why don't you go first? Um, you know, they, they weren't awful games. Um, you know, honestly, through probably the first two periods of, uh, of game one, I, I thought the Red Wings were actually the better team. Um, just, but, you know, it was the same things that have plagued this team all year. It was, uh, you know, they would play well in spurts, and then they'd make a mistake, and that mistake would just would kill them and you know we kind of saw that um on the you know you look at the goals that that tampa has scored um detroit's made it a little bit easy on them you know like that you think back to that first tampa goal that they scored what was it their second shot of the game i think and it was just defense was just too passive and kucherov had a, a really easy one-time shot i mean ripped it and then uh you know you had the goal i think it was the fourth goal the john goal in game two where he just basically just kind of streaked in past the three forwards who were just standing there um just to kind of take that pass and that's that's kind of play that the red wings have had all season is that high that third third guy high just coming in late they've just been unable to to do that and you know they couldn't they couldn't score any goals and their power play still sucks but you know what i mean they weren't blown out in the first two games the 5-2 score i think maybe flattered tampa a little bit just because the wings got sloppy at the end of the game but i don't know they i mean it was i'm encouraged that they can still win the series uh nothing i saw in the first two games tells me that's not possible um but uh they're gonna have to play how they did in game three if they're gonna give themselves a chance at that 
Yeah, if they play the way that they do in Game 3 for the rest of the series, then there's no stopping them in this uh, in this round. Um, because outside of the, uh, the Johnson line, I mean, what exactly do they have? They have Victor Hedman, who has just been a thorn in the side. That guy's a freak of nature. Um, you know, Jonathan Druin, he's looked really good. I think he takes a lot of stupid penalties and acts tougher than what he is. Um, but, uh, I mean, outside of that one line, you know, there's not much to show uh, without Stamco. So they're a very beatable team. And if you just get the right matchups there, then, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting pretty. Um, and I, I still think that Ben Bishop is kind of a mess in, in, in that he really does let up some really goofy rebounds and kind of gets shook really easy. Because um, you, 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 if, you, if you bury one past him once, it seems like he kind of uh, puts his tail between his legs and, and doesn't really control the rebounds very well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the power play has been just a, a, a shit fuck, um, to, to put it lightly, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I, I stay reserved to the fact that if they play in Game 4 uh, like they did in Game 3, then, uh, yeah, they can, they can do this. Um, JJ, what about, what about you? Did you watch the games? I did, yeah. Good. All three of them. Oh, um, no, I agree with, with Graham and you about basically everything so far. I think that uh, Jeff Blashill said before Game 3 that essentially the difference in Games 1 and 2 uh, weren't that severe. It was just a case of, uh, you know, one or two things that the you know, they made a play or two more than we did. And I, I disagree with a play or two more. But I don't think that the first two games were so decidedly lopsided at the point where it wasn't undoable. Like the five to two loss was embarrassing and it was bad, but that was a game where the Red Wings came out really well and essentially they made the stupid mistakes that their defense has been making all season long. Um, held on to the puck a little bit too long, missed some shots that they shouldn't have missed. It's just you don't want to call it like unlucky because this is something that's plagued them all season long. It's it's something that they consistently have trouble with um, to the point where if they're doing it right, you almost want to consider it lucky. But like you know, Riley Shan missing that really good shot in, that he had in, in Game One, and uh, Gustav Nyquist, you know, putting it just over the net from from right in front. That's just they weren't bad. They just they made more mistakes than Tampa, and Tampa capitalized on more mistakes. It's like, we have not been able to get that. I mean, actually, we did get that, you know, blast one-timer like Kucherov did, and that was essentially what opened the scoring for us in Game 3, and that was really nice, too, because you were starting to get the feel. I don't know if you were, I was starting to get the feeling in Game 3 that after they had dominated that far, that they were going to have that third-period drop-off where they just couldn't keep that intensity up. Um... And then Athanasiu scored, and then Zetterberg scored about five minutes later, and then that gave me a lot more confidence going into the third, thinking that this team, I think, is going to be able to weather this. And so, yeah, if they can go into game four and play the exact same way, obviously they're going to be unbeatable. Um, It's just a concept of, or if they can play better even, especially with the power play scoring, uh, it's just a concept of we're not used to seeing them perform that way two games in a row and so i i love to be super duper confident but uh it's really going to depend on on what happens in in the next game 
Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, the the next game is really a, a defining factor for if this team can do it or not. Um, I mean, well, I guess we can kind of I don't know. Graham, did you have something else that you wanted to to, to branch out on? Well, I was going to say. I mean, Cooper Cooper said it best. I think is that game three, the more desperate team won game three. And yeah. the Red Wings finally kind of showed that desperation that they hadn't shown really since the Philly game, um, which was kind of where they were in that kind of same situation. But, you know, the, the thing was is the next night they, they shit the bed against Boston. But they, uh, you know, it's it's so hard to know. Can they, can they maintain that level of desperation for another game? I think they can, quite honestly, because I think that the type of game that they played, it still wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a perfect game offensively because I mean they had 30 shots, but it didn't. It, for a while there, I was getting a game seven from last year vibe, like that they were going to just kind of oh, dominate yeah. game three, and then Tampa was going to get a goal, and it was just going to totally, totally deflate them. Which we've seen that already in this series. You know that the Red Wings are just unable to to maintain any of the momentum or any of the. The, the, the those positive feelings that you get after you do something good and um i mean that first goal was so huge i th- think it was almost you could just see them relax and they actually got better after that like they didn't let up i i'm with jj i don't know if we're going to see that again tomorrow or or on on tuesday uh and i absolutely hope that i'm i'm wrong or that my 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 uh, apprehension is not just Justified. Yeah, what gives me a little bit of faith is that what I think happened was that they had that Philly game that essentially earned them the playoff spot, <clears throat> and they won in that game by taking the play to Philly. They were really physical in that game uh, in ways that obviously a lot of fans have been clamoring for, not gooning it up or anything, but playing the body, like not doing the Olay stick work trying to get... Uh, breaks where they're not appropriate and taking just it, just those kind of inappropriate chances, especially around the blue lines, but being willing to flat out strike a guy um, because you know that you're taking him out of the play too, yeah. and it just wears them down. And I think they were trying to do that in the first two games, but they mistook the concept of playing you know with that physical edge and just let all of the extracurricular shit get to them. And they, yeah. they cross the line between playing with the physical edge like the Red Wings are actually capable of doing and just going out there and running around like idiots. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. Um, you look at uh, you look at the adjustments that Jeff Lashell made, which we can talk about a little bit. Um, I mean, you saw a guy like Brendan Smith finally get himself into the lineup. You know, Kyle Quincy was uh, marked as the healthy scratch. And uh, I think that made a big difference because, I mean, you saw Smith come out early in the game. He made a big hit. You know, not that that's, you know, that changes the, the course of the game or anything, but, you know, um, he also played a really, really good game. I think he was probably the best defenseman of the night. And, and uh, you know, it, it's just, it's frustrating because it's like, you know, he shouldn't have been sitting to begin with, but... Um, I'm glad that he's playing now, and he had such a solid game now that we know that he's going to play again um, and and all of that. So, Graham, what were you about to say? Uh, honestly, I don't remember. I, well, I remember. <laughs> it was, it, they, in game three, they played with a controlled aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was still there, but 
like I mean, Advocator is, is going to be the lightning rod for the series now, and I, it's almost I almost get the sense from a physical standpoint, he seems to be kind of the way the way he goes, the way the team goes with that with the physical play, and in you know in game two he was just I mean he was just trying to be like the guy and he was trying to lay the big hit that was going to spark the team and then you know at the end it was the frustration in game three he he played with that control where he was still playing the body but he wasn't doing anything he wasn't even doing anything really that bad he was just he was finishing checks and he was just playing his game that's what the red wings need to do is Tampa, it's quite obvious that Tampa is trying to get under the skin of the Red Wings. That's what you do in the playoffs. And uh, in Game 3, they didn't respond to any of it, for the most part. You know, I mean, I, I re-watched, actually, the um, the replay today. And, I mean, there were a number of scrums where you would see a Tampa player that would just kind of a little jab or go after. Or you could even see they were saying something. And most of the time, the wing players, would, they wouldn't respond. Or they'd turn and maybe jaw back, but that would be it. So that's what they just need to do, is not let Tampa get in their heads. Yeah, um, and that's really funny. It goes back to yesterday um, when uh, Brennan Smith, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he got like whacked by someone and he Coburn, was after yeah. the whistle. Who? It was Coburn. Coburn, yeah. And he went to go after him and then Mrazek just kind of like gave him a big bear hug and just said, no, no, don't do that. They have the penalty, chill. And uh, I, I don't know if that's what he said, but I assume it's probably something like that. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, that was not only hilarious, but really, really I'm thankful that Mrazek did that because Smith would have definitely taken a stupid penalty there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point is that they need to play with that controlled aggression. Um, you know, the Red Wings have always, uh, I mean, in this city, for whatever reason, they've been kind of by fans and uh, mainstream media have been kind of knocked that they're soft. And uh, I think so far I, they think they've been anything but soft. I think they've actually been pretty hard at times they've been too aggressive like in game two um which is which it's it's one of those things it's like you know damned if you do damned if you don't you uh you know you can certainly shoot yourself in the foot by playing a game like that because things can go off the rails real quick as we saw um so what they really need to do is just keep it controlled and stay out of the penalty boxes box as much as possible um you know, despite the fact that the Red Wings didn't score on the power play in Game Three, the fact that they were on the power play so much really helped them. I think uh, that that's one thing that kind of makes me feel a little reserved on how Game Four will go, um, because having guys like Tyler Johnson or you know whatever, if they're killing penalties or they're not on the ice because they don't kill penalties, um, obviously the odds are in your favor. So that's something to really take into consideration. Is that um, they need to stay out of the box, and they need to try and make sure that Tampa's in the box because um, it's more preferable to play on the power play because you more often than not have the puck in their zone and whatever. But, uh, um, I mean, that's just my thought. I mean, I guess the next topic would be uh, the goaltending. Um, obviously, uh, Howard started the first two games, didn't go his way, not really his fault. The team didn't really back him up like he uh, he should have been. Um and then, you know, Morazic gets the, the start in game three, pitches a shutout, a uh, 16-save shutout, which isn't, you know, which is whatever. I think Howard would have done just fine yesterday as well. Uh, not yesterday, but I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, game three. Um, so 
you know, it's uh, it, it's one thing. It's it kind of sucks because now you you know now you're going to start Mrazek for the rest of the series pretty much. It seems um, unless Mrazek just comes out and lays an absolute egg. Um, it, but it does seem like they like it's so weird, and I know it's such an intangible that the team like you know they played so much better in front of Mrazek. I don't really understand it. I think it was just a you know obviously it's just me speculating there, but. Um, I do think that the way that he plays the puck, uh, I think the team feels more comfortable. Um, I think that the defense feels more comfortable with a goalie like him who can play the puck like he does when he is on and he has his swagger. Um, I mean, are there any? Do you guys have any thoughts about the goaltending or anything like that? I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty quick. I mean, it's a pretty quick topic. There's really not much to talk about, really. Well, no, I I, I agree that it wasn't on Jimmy Howard. Um, and I, I also agree that the win, even though it was a shutout, and it was a good performance by by Marazic, um, Cooper himself, you know, he he told the press, well, you know, they ch- I know they changed their goalies, but I'm not even sure they needed a goalie for Game Three, uh, which, which is, is a stupid comment. Yeah, it's it's hilarious, coach <laughs> speak for yeah. like kind of, you know, he's he's calling out his whole team, he's and. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily trying to take credit away from Mrazek, but uh, obviously he's trying to get that message across. But I do think that the point where, and you didn't see it too often, but the point with Mrazek being a much better puck handler was visible there. Um, I think he got to a few pucks and helped create some more breakouts than Howard would have. Mm-hmm. Um Honestly, I thought that there were some times where he looked shaky in the net, especially with his rebound control. But he got the job done. The defense, I think, does does know how to adjust to playing with uh, Peter versus playing with Jimmy. I think they they know their jobs both ways, um, and it's not necessarily that that the Peter's more aggressive, a little bit more Dominic Hasek style makes it any easier for them, but. Um, you know the the times where Peter got down and out, his defense bailed him out, and that's that's kind of what they're supposed to do. You don't need your goalie to do absolutely everything. You look at Jonathan Quick out in Los Angeles, and that guy is freaking all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, and his his defenders are 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 basically saving goals for him left and right. Um, you know it, it works. So obviously, yeah, I'd, I'd stick with Morazic until given reason not to. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean. Um, it said before, you know, people were saying, well, Mrazek should have started the series or should have started game two because they need him to steal a game or they need him to steal a series. And I mean, I don't, I don't like that mentality because if you think that your goalie needs to steal a game, fine, the series, then that means your team's not good. And I mean, I think we're all realists when it comes to the Red Wings and we kind of understand that. Uh, you know they're not uh, necessarily cup contenders, but I don't want them to advance because Peter Morazic stole a series and they just moved to the next round because that doesn't that doesn't further the development of the franchise as a whole in theory. Um, you know, kind of having said that, it you know Howard Howard deserved to start the series. Um, he deserved the starting game two, and they needed to start Morazic in game three. It was absolutely one of those situations where. You, you knew that Mrazek should have started Game 3. Uh, the only way I think Howard was going to get the start is if he lost, like, 2-1 to one or one mm-hmm. nothing or something 
something really low scoring where it was so clearly not his fault that you know that that's it but i mean he gave up the four goals and that's you know what are you going to do i mean the problem with howard is that he was he was he was fine through the two games he played but that the wings needed better than fine they needed they needed really good goaltending so they didn't get it you know whatever uh Marazic gets to reclaim in the the net and i do think at this point i don't think you go back to howard i think at, at this point you you've you've gone to Marazic. if he loses game four you you go in game five you go with him in game five you just you have to at this point because you can't yeah. just, you can't switch your goalies you can't go back and forth in a in a series there's just there's no way so i don't know it's i guess that depends on how game four goes I, I mean, look, if he gets lit up for four goals in the you know in the first period, yeah, pull him. But um, you know, even if he gives up, even if he has the type of game that say Howard did in game two, I don't think you, I don't think you go to Howard in game in game five. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't either because I think it's, you know, yeah, time take because the it, wheels off. Let's go. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. I, and I don't know if the team plays any better, but I do know that. I mean, Pierre Maguire in game three talked a lot about Bishop and how good a puck handler he is and what a difference it was making. And, I, and there were a number of dump-ins that the Red Wings had that just he, inexplicably they would gain the red line and they would throw it in on Bishop. Like they would almost like a pass and he would just, he would clear the zone like it was no big deal. And, you know, I agree with JJ that, that with Mrazek in that, that happens for, that that gets flipped. So Tampa has to account for Mrazek handling the puck and, and making their breakouts a lot easier um, versus if Howard's in there where he's just he's just average at best. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Graham. I think you just ride out Mrazek. I mean, whatever, just just do it. He stole you the first or he got you not stole you the first round. I'm an idiot. Uh, he got you to game seven in uh, in uh, last season or last postseason. So I don't know. Just uh, I, I think if the Red Wings do need a a goalie to steal a game, Morasic is going to be the guy to do it. Um, so mm-hmm. that's just me. So I mean, it's a, it's a quick topic. There's, I mean, you know, obviously we're going with Morasic. That's what we want. That's what the fans want. So we'll just go. We'll go with that. So another another topic that we could talk about is the adjust. Another adjustment that uh, Jeff Lashell made uh, to neutralize the uh, the Tyler Johnson line in Game Three. Um, and that was matching them up with uh, with everybody's favorite Red Wing, Luke Lindenning. Uh, but not just Luke Lindenning and like Joachim Anderson. Uh, it, it was a, a new look on that line. It was uh, Luke Lindenning, Justin Abdelkader, and Riley Shan. And it worked. It worked really well. Uh, was it dumb luck? Maybe. Uh, but what I saw was the Tyler Johnson and Nikita Kucherov not get a shot on net the entire game. Uh, which is massive that's a big thing so uh especially being the kind of players that they are so um uh i mean what do you guys think about that sort of adjustment and obviously Blashill's going to roll with that and they're going to play you know glenn denning and and those guys they're all going to play over 15 minutes in the next game i mean is that does that make you nervous at all or is it something you feel a little confident seeing them play so well in that um in that 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 uh in that game three and, and for me uh, I feel way better having that than having Justin Abdelkader playing with Henrik Zetterberg and Dylan Larkin because I think that entire trio has played itself out. 
I think it's it's ineffective, and um, I think uh, it's it's better to have just an advocator in that sandpaper role. Uh, and I like Riley Shan in that role too. I, I think he does a really good job. Um, you know, he plays defense well, and then he also had a you know he had that breakaway in game three. He didn't score, but he he created the chance. So. Um, you know, what about what about you guys? How do you feel about it? I think the line matchup of Glenn Denning, Shea-In, and Adlocator works really well against the Tyler Johnson line to the point where it's not dumb luck. I mean, they uh, they uh, caved Johnson in pretty well in Game 3. And I think one of the reasons for that is essentially you're telling these guys you have to defend. There's no pressure on you if you're not going to sc- score. Although... Blashill did say that uh, that he thinks it essentially that he admitted that the best defense is, is having the puck in their zone a lot, and these guys can do that. Um, but I think the way that, that the Glendinning and Applicator Sham line works, uh, that specifically helps neutralize Johnson, is that in the first two games, Johnson's line absolutely destroyed us in transition. Um, Dylan Larkin would, uh, you know, he had that one in, in game one for the very first goal of the game, where he just made a bad decision at the the lightning blue line and it turned around into a three on two. Um, and that's kind of a play I still want Dylan Larkin making. Like, obviously, I don't want to make him a turnover, but I want him to try using his skill in the zone. Shane, Glendening, and Applicator don't do that. They dump and they chase and they forecheck. And that forces Tyler Johnson to start from all the way back behind his own net against guys who are really good at chasing people down in the neutral zone and who aren't taking as many of those kind of chances that, like, say, Dylan Larkin does. So I think that it's a a matchup that really works well against the way Johnson's line creates offense. I think it works well against the way Johnson's line um, forechecks, and I think it works really well against the way Johnson's line plays in their own zone. Uh, Plus, with what happened on the the Zetterberg line, having uh, Nyquist, Zetterberg, and Larkin... um, Nyquist showed that he can play as a wrecking ball in that line as long as it's not against specifically terribly top-line competition. Now, it's not exactly like uh, like Zetterberg had it super easy. Uh, you know, his time on ice leaders in, in Game 3 were Victor Hedman and Matt Carl mostly, but he played a lot against uh, Palat, Boyle, Philpola, um getting pretty well, uh, like he didn't have a lot of time against uh, Nemestikov or, or any of those guys, but you let that happen, and Zetterberg is still good at playing solid hockey. He's he's not a, a fantastic creator anymore, but he's got Larkin with that amazing speed, and he's got Nyquist, who is who's really, he's given it his all this series, and I've, I really appreciate the way he's been playing. And I think you know, getting them away from that kind of a matchup is is really helping. And you're giving Datsuk to Filpola, who is essentially Tampa's best defensive center right now. Um, and I, I just I like the way these line matchups are going. I think that obviously they're going to try to stick with that. Um, I think that when the series goes back to Tampa for uh, for Game Five, that Blashill really needs to work on on making sure that happens. And also. I really like the way that he used the Athanasiu line, too. Um, obviously, yeah. getting more time, because they definitely have to get more time. But they gave them a lot. he gave them a lot of offensive zone face-offs against weaker competition. So, and, 
you know that, that's what he's been saying about Othman. You know, he's not going to get as much ice time, but he's he's going to do really well in that time. And honestly, I'm I'm not totally sold on it, but I am starting to come around on that concept. Yeah, that's a good one, Graham. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with a lot of what JJ said. It's it's I don't think there's a flu that Luke Lindenning plays well against Tyler Johnson because we saw it last year. He did well against Johnson last year. Uh, he's doing it again. Uh, the one thing I think you get with that line though is, I mean, Glendening for all his faults, he is fairly responsible defensively. Uh, he's a, one thing that line that you do get though with the three of them is they're all they're all pretty good skaters. And the Johnson line, uh, that's a that's a fast line that they have. So you have the speed there uh, that they can keep up with the you know all of those guys. Um, which I think is huge because uh, as JJ meant, they're they're killing him in transition, and so uh, between you got Shannon Abdicator who are both good with the puck, and then you got Glenn Denning who just is just like a little jitterbug around the ice. And the nice thing is it frees up the other three lines to just do whatever. I mean, the Datsuk line was it was what it was in Game Three. I actually found it to be the least noticeable of the three lines offensively um, although I, I say that saying Richards has actually been one of their best forwards through the through the three games total uh, um, Nyquist I know people are on him for not scoring I think Nyquist has looked really good in the in the three games so far uh, he's skating well uh, he's he's going into the air it, it kind of into the dirty area he's going into corners he's, he's he's getting shots he's getting opportunities i mean you're at the point now where people are getting angry with him because he's not scoring on his opportunities which that means he's getting opportunities so it's kind of one of those i feel like with nyquist he's gonna get one and then he it's just gonna be like a weight lifted off him and he's just gonna go into like i, I don't think he's gonna go into like 2014 kind of mode where he shut 20%, but I could see him getting one goal and just all of a sudden it just kind of clicking for him and just like, okay, just like he relaxes, maybe he gets one on the power play. Uh, I mean, uh, a Nyquist who is scoring benefits the Red Wings, I think probably more than any other player, quite honestly, because he had so many power play goals last year and then he, he just gives them that speed option that they have because Tampa's got... There's not a, a, an offensive line from Tampa that's not the Johnson line that really scares me. I mean, maybe they'll score. I mean, they could score here or there, but like that, they're on the ice. Oh my God, you! What are we going to do? Are they going to be able to hold them? Only the Johnson line does that. It, it'll be interesting when it goes back to Tampa because there's a small part of me that's afraid Blashill is going to go back to the way the lines were in games one and two because he realizes that he's not going to have less change and so maybe he thinks I don't want to burn that line of Ablocator Shane and Glendening against you know whoever he can't get the, the match that he wants um, and I think that would be a mistake I think that he has the ability to dictate matchups more than he thinks he can they change on the fly and if they kind of do if they maintain the puck possession that they have so far so I don't know I, I, you know it, the Athanasiu Anderson and Tatar, that line, I mean, it, it, it works. And the funny thing is, if Anderson's such a great penalty killer, you would think he's good defensively, which means you could put him out there in the third period. My concern is they're going to, as this series goes deeper, 
if Blashill keeps his bench short, and I'm not talking that Athanasiu should be playing with three minutes left in the game when they're up by a goal. Shorten your bench at that point. But, you know, within the first five, six, seven minutes of the third period, he should be getting a regular rotation. I, I, I don't want them, and we've said this all year, don't be afraid to give up a goal because he's on the ice. When the the flip side to that is that he could score for you. I mean, he's he was their best forward on in game three offensively. Yeah. If you're I up mean, two to nothing, you ought to be taking chances to make it three to nothing because you got to get nothing, that. You got to get that third goal. Yeah, yeah. Three to nothing yeah. is way more good than two to one is bad. To oh, me. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I, and I was worried. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I mean, if 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 Tampa gets a goal, I just I was I was afraid that they were going to the wings were going to blow it. That it was just going to take all the weather sails and Tampa was going to come back and they were going to make it, you know, make the comeback kind of like what we saw in game four last year where they just, you know, they just fall apart. And I just, I kept thought to myself, they need to get the third goal. They can't be content to be up to, and they weren't, I mean, to their credit, they weren't, they still pushed the play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's, they did not sit back and play, go into a shell or play more of a a prevent. They, they were still, you know, they were still fairly aggressive on offense. They were smart aggressive on offense um, while tightening up. But I, I still want to see, even in it 2 nothing. I still want to see Athanasiu getting more ice time just to see what he can create. Maybe he creates another goal for it. He creates a chance. Maybe he draws a penalty. You know, I mean, there's there's far more positives than negatives for him playing late in the third period. But I think the, what they have, have now is if they're not going to put in Yurko and they're not going to put in Polkanen, and I wouldn't for game four because game that game three lineup worked. I, I changed nothing for game four in terms of lineup. You roll with that exact same lineup. It worked. Don't mess around. Um, it, it will be interesting because now you've got Datsuk on one line. You've got Zetterberg on another line. You've got Athanasiu on another line. And you have that Abby Shan Glendening line, which they could be a threat to score. So you now have four lines that, in theory could provide you some offense that Tampa has to contend with. Yeah, I think that's a good... uh, They have a really, like, the way that they, in Game 3, it was a healthy blend of skill and whatever you want to say. Like, it was just a good blend across the chart in terms of the line combinations. Obviously, the defense is what it is. That's not changing. So, um, adding Brendan Smith and taking out Kyle Quincy while having Kyle Quincy over someone else not going to name anyone, might be more preferable. Um, it, it worked, um, and I think that's what they should roll with. They should just do it again. Um, uh, you know, ride what you got until ride it off into the sunset. Um, so, yeah, looking at game three, Detroit had four offensive zone faceoffs in the third period, which obviously isn't that good, but Tampa was really pushing. I think that yeah. uh, any one of those would have been okay for. Uh, for using that Anderson Tatar Athanasiu line, although I did like the uh, the idea, of, it basically was the only, their only shift of the of the third period. Um, Blasha likes to use them like after uh, the end of a power play, and I think that's a really good idea because that's kind of when the other team is trying to like reestablish uh, their own momentum and having a, that's a, a key time for them to essentially get sloppy. And Athanasius' speed is going to destroy people that get sloppy, especially as, as he improves at the NHL level. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's so good. I'm so happy because I mean I've been excited for him ever since like they drafted him and he, you know he was in the OHL doing the same exact thing. Then he went to the AHL did the same exact thing. He's a very exciting player. Um, he's a good kid, and I mean he has pretty much everything. he's he's good defensively. There's nothing wrong with his defensive play, um, and he's not small. He's got he's got some size to him. And he skates like the wind, so um, I think he's a perfect third-line center. Um, and I think they should really be priming him to, 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 to be that. To be that. Um, so I, I, I'm pleasantly surprised with him and the way that he's performed, and I hope that he gets more playing time, and I hope that they look at him on the power play and the penalty kill. Put him in all situations. Do it. Put him in goal. Fuck it. Um, okay, sure. Why not? Do it for game. Do it for game four. Yeah. Let him coach. Um. Okay. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why don't we also let him? Coach. <laughs> Let's also. He's young. He's hip. Let's have him run the uh, the uh, the DJ booth at the Joe Louis Arena because of how god awful it is. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um. Okay. So moving on. Um. So we talked about the start of everything and all that good stuff. Um. I mean, looking outside of the Red Wings in the playoffs so far, what, what we've seen, uh, is there anything that you guys have, you know, kind of found to be a topic of discussion or something that would be interesting to talk about? Obviously, um, as we're recording this right now, uh, we just watched Philly get caved in, uh, by, by the Caps uh-huh. in, in Wells Fargo, and you saw the fans lose their minds and throw stuff on the ice. Um, looks like the Flyers are pretty much done for. They look like hell. The Caps are really good. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I was wrong when I said I wanted to play the Cavs in the first round. God, I'm an oh, idiot. God, that there, would suck. There but, for, there but for the grace of the Bruins completely falling apart, go the yeah. Red Wings. Thanks, Bruins. Because you they, you know what? Watch, I've, watched, I've watched the game today, most of the game today. And, I mean, I think they scored four or five power play goals. I don't remember how many power play goals they scored. Yeah. But, I mean, Philly completely lost their composure. And I mean that Capitals power play is just—it's mm. lethal. And then it was funny because I mean, Philly scored what minute into the game, something like that. Yeah, they opened up the scoring. Yeah, and then you know they lose six-one, which I think I think it shows you two things. One, Washington is legit. I mean, they won the President's Trophy by a wide margin, and they really coasted to the end of the year. They were the best team in the league all season. Um, what they're doing shouldn't like how good they look shouldn't be a surprise but i mean philly philly reminds me so much of ottawa from last year in that they got really really hot towards the end of the year they got some insane goaltending from steve mason and they squeaked in but i think they i think they just they're they run out of gas i don't think philly is that is that good at, at the end of the day um you know they're just they're just that's it they're they, they that it they're out of they're they're done um so washington's gonna get the winner of pittsburgh rangers which i've i'll that one that series surprised me because i think a lot of people thought pittsburgh was just gonna cakewalk to that and i don't i don't know yet i mean the rangers they looked looked pretty good yeah uh it's weird you take out a bad defenseman like dan girardi and your team gets good it's a weird fucking concept in this league um it it, it, i mean who would ever do that? Um, and they're doing it without Ryan McDonough, who is a really good defensive. And I think I, I've always liked Ryan McDonough a lot as a, a player. 
I don't like playing him, but uh, he's a he's a one hell of a player. And I think that when they get him back, uh, the, if they you know if they make it far enough to where he comes back, I don't know exactly how long he's out. So I could be just slinging bullshit here. But uh, uh, I said he he skated today, but they apparently Vigneault said he won't play in game three. He's not likely to play in game three, but crazier things have happened. Okay, so he could. But I guess it top hand. Yeah. So he might come back in the series. Okay. Potentially. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. I think they have they have uh, the 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 game factor there. Henrik Lundqvist. I mean, he's one of the best in the game. Um, so who knows what could happen? Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see New York make it tough on the on the Penguins, even though the Penguins should absolutely win that win that series. Um, looking into the West a little bit. Um, I mean, what is it right now as we speak right now? Minnesota is beating Dallas 4-2, to two, which is weird because Minnesota is awful and Dallas is supposed to be really good. Um, and then, you know, you have – that's a that's a weird one because Minnesota, like, I don't know. I don't see what that team can really do. And I don't know. They just seem bad, but whatever. Let's not – I'm not too worried about that. What's what's more interesting to me is the the Blues Hawks series so far. That's that's been a good one. Um, so I, I think. Do you guys think that the Blues could pull the upset there? Stars just scored, by the way. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, um, I've watched. I've watched it. actually a little bit of that series. Chicago, like in Game One, Chicago was better, and they had a bad. They had a bad break on the goal, mm-hmm. but they were the yeah, better that was team. Brutal. You know, it's just one of those bounces. Um, game two, from the bit I saw, because they've played on the same nights as the Red Wings. So yeah. um, I've only caught bits and pieces. But I did turn on game two after the Red Wings lost because I, I knew one of those teams was going to lose. So it was going to make me somewhat happy to know that one of them was going to lose. Um, I thought St. Louis was going to pull it off, but, you know, they just couldn't quite do it. But in Game three, I watched most of that game, and St. Louis actually looked good. Um, I was reading um, Committed Indian, and I they're, they they're, they do really good analysis of the, the Hawks. And one thing they've pointed out is the the Hawks defense as a unit, as a six man unit, they are not mobile. Um, so much like with the, the Red Wings, if you can get a good aggressive forecheck on them, uh, you're forcing them to move the puck quicker, which brings their forwards back so they can't break out as quick. And they're not really great puck movers outside of really outside of Keith and Seabrook. Uh, because Jomerson, Jomerson's, he's good, but he's much better in his own zone. He's not a great puck handler. Um, so they could – game four is going to be so crucial – for St. Louis to win, I, I I almost feel like if it goes two two, Chicago's going to win. But if if St. Louis can somehow win Game Four and take it back to Louis up three one, I think they can pull it off. Yeah, I think it's a case where because I'm not going to believe in St. Louis ever, but I think that Chicago is a more flawed team than they can get away with. Um, this time around, I think that if if they wake up and, and go hot, they can they can still do it. But um, I think Ken Hitchcock is playing is is coaching a really good series at this point. Uh, just kind of 
I mean, he's, he's toying with the media, which I love to hear. Um, but I, yeah, it, it's a case of the Blues are performing to where they should be. The Blackhawks, uh, I think honestly, the Blackhawks tried to do a little bit of the taking the last month of the season off, yeah. and I think they're having trouble finding that uh, the switch isn't as easy to hit when you've you know cost yourself home ice advantage. Obviously, Washington coasted in the last part of the season, too, which made a lot of people think that Philly was going to give them a lot of trouble. And they, you know, they basically found the switch, but Washington is up against a, like, just like Graham said, uh, Ottawa from last year, they're a gassed team. Uh, Philly used it all up. They're not very good. Uh, Chicago kind of took the, the foot off the gas, and they ended up cruising into St. Louis, uh, which is a very hungry, very angry, and much more capable team than Philly. So, yeah, that's a that's a nightmare yeah. for Chicago. That if they go down three to one, I don't think they're coming back. But I also agree that I just can't trust that that Ken Hitchcock and the Blues can keep their composure well enough if they end up getting the series two to two. Um, I think Chicago is. Boy, I'd like to say I think Chicago is done by the second round, but I'm honestly worried that even though Minnesota is still beating Dallas right now, I think that Minnesota might be too weak of, an, of a competition for Dallas, and I think that Dallas is going to get their nose bloodied in the second round. So Yeah, Dallas um, kind of reminds you of that team that, um, you know, obviously they just broke out this year and started being really good. Um, they kind of remind you of that team that needs to, you know, have a really good regular season but get just, you know, blasted in the playoffs. That just They kind of strike me as that kind of team. Obviously a very good team, have a lot, uh, a really bright future, but I, I just have that feeling. Just like if Washington they, used to be, yeah. Yeah, if, they get, the if they get Sagan back, though, uh, the, the one thing that they can do, if they play, no matter who they play, Chicago or St. Louis, uh, forward depth, they'll, they'll match either one. So they'll be able to, because the thing with... Uh, the thing with Chicago is right now they, they're having a lot of trouble kind of getting a lot of chances, like a lot of good quality chances on St. Louis. St. Louis is playing a really strong defensive structure. Um, Dallas will not, but Dallas is – they're talented enough they can outscore their mistakes, whereas St. Louis can't. Because St. Louis – St. Louis in a weird way, they almost remind me a little bit of Tampa because they're kind of a, a little bit of a one-line – line for the pony, most yeah. part right like they got tarasenko and schwartz and they uh, hitchcock put them back together i mean tarasenko is phenomenal um but i mean other than that there's not really anybody on on st louis where i would be like oh man they can really they can really beat you in a series um but they've been able to nullify the kane panarin and isimov line for the most part and that taves lad most they just have not it's. I feel like it's been probably about a month since that line has done anything, and even before Lad joined it, before the he got traded there, Taves also weren't weren't doing that great anyway. So um, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah I. Uh, it's a mess. I love the, it. The what? The whole state of California is a mess. Like, oh yeah, this is great. No California home team has yet won a game, and obviously that could change. Mm-hmm. Tonight, uh, Los Angeles and San Jose are currently tied one to one in the first period. So that game will be over by the time you listen to this. But 
Yeah, the Ducks blowing the first two games to the Predators at home. <laughs> I love and then it. the Kings losing the first <laughs> two games to the so Sharks. Awesome. The Ducks losing to the Predators is way funnier to me than, than the other way around. Oh, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, because I love that, you know, what Anaheim did after essentially taking the first two months of the season off is really incredible. And then to just, like, yeah. see them take the first two games of the playoffs off, like, you can't, you guys can't afford to do that. Um, yeah. I really. And then I hope that whoever, I, if it's Nashville versus San Jose in the second round, I guess I have to root for the Sharks. But that might be like the biggest meteor root series out of the entire second round if, if yeah. that's what ends up happening. And that's saying something considering either Chicago or St. Louis is going to end up in in the conference semis. Yeah, um, it's funny to watch the Ducks do this because it's so Ducks. It really is like this. I mean, they sucked it to begin with in the in the regular season. Then they turn into undoubtedly one of the best teams in the league, the way that they were playing, and then enter the playoffs and goodbye, good night. So, I mean, they could turn it around, but because I still think Nashville has a lot of flaws. But um, you know, it's a uh, it's it, yeah. it's it's funny. But did you um, see Boudreaux call out? Um, <laughs> yeah, Jeff and Perry. That was amazing. I love that. Oh, that was amazing. Like music to my ears. My sister, yeah, basically, Boudreaux my was asked, um, you know, are you surprised that it's been like gets the guys like Getzlaff and Perry going to the box taking those stupid penalties? And he's like, no, because it's always those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because uh, my sister in law is a, a big Ducks fan, and she said she turned the game off after they took the two penalties, I guess in pretty quick succession. She t- turned it off because she was just so frustrated with them. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I, I I'm at least having fun watching it. So whatever, screw Ducks fans. No offense to your sister-in-law. Um, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving along uh, to other things, uh, we've obviously covered pretty much all there is to cover in terms of the playoffs. Um, we're gonna shift everything over to uh, Michelle as we always do to talk about our prospects, uh, the Griffins, uh, what's going on overseas. All that. Uh, she's probably. I think she's going to cover a couple of the questions that were in uh, in the mailbag that were asked from some of our readers. So, uh, Michelle, why don't you go ahead and take it away, as always, and uh, we will speak with you guys in a few. The Griffins may have ended their season with a five-game lose streak, but they're in the postseason nonetheless, and they will take on the Milwaukee Admirals in the first round of the Calder Cup playoffs. The Griffins fell to fourth in the Central Division with 90 points, largely a result of losing those last five games of the season in what's a very tight division. So they could take on the division-leading Admirals. For some context on just how tight things are in the standings, the Griffins ended up finishing seventh in the West, and there were only a few points separating several positions. The Griffins closed out their regular season with a loss to the Iowa Wild, a 5-3 loss to the Lake Erie Monsters, a 4-0 loss to the Milwaukee Admirals, who they're about to face in the playoffs, and then a 3-2 loss to the Bakersfield Condors. Who finished tops in Griffins in scoring for the season? I'm so glad you asked. Andy Neely led the way in points for the Griffins with 62, followed by Eric Tangrady with 56, Mark Zengerly with 47, Anthony Mantha with 45, Marty Furk with 44, and Robbie Russo with 39. Goal-wise, Eric Tangrady led the way for the Griffins with 28 goals on the season, but Marty Furk was only one behind him with 27. That's very surprising, but a pleasant surprise. Anthony Mantha was third with 21 goals, followed by Mitch Callahan with 19, Andy Neely with 18, and Tomasz Nosek with 15. 
League-wide, there were a few Griffins players who also finished in the top 20 in the league standings. Andy Mealy was 6th in the American Hockey League in scoring with 62 points, 6th in the league in assists with 44, and 12th in the league in power play assists with 19. Eric Tangrady finished 15th in the league in points with 56, 5th in the league in goals with 28, and 12th in the league in shots on goal with 192. Rookie defenseman Robbie Russo finished 16th among all defensemen in scoring with 39 points and 20th among all rookies in scoring, and that includes rookie forwards. Marty Furk was one of the more pleasant surprises this season, and he ended up finishing 10th in the entire league in goals with 27, 7th in the league in power play goals with 11th, and 10th in the league in shots on goal with 193. In net, Jared Coro finished the season with a 2.43 goals against average, which put him at 10th in the league, and Tom McCullum had a 2.42 goals against average, which put him at 9th in the league. In save percentage, Coro had a 9.22, 5th in the league, and McCullum had a 9.23 third in the league. Coro also had six shutouts on the season, which put him at third best in the league. Coach Nelson hasn't decided yet which goalie's going to start in the playoffs, as both have been very good this season, and it's probable that he'll go with a rotation, at least in the beginning, to give both guys a chance to take the playoff starter reins. We'll have to wait and see, but I'd personally rather see Coro given the opportunity to take over, primarily because he has a higher ceiling than McCollum, and he's still on the upswing, and he could use the experience, but also because he makes my butthole pucker just a little less than Tom McCollum does in that. So looking at the first round of the playoffs, the Griffins face the Milwaukee Admirals in a best of five series. All AHL series are five games in the first round and seven games in each of the rest of the rounds. The Griffins won the regular season series against the Admirals five games to three and outscored them 25 to 18 in those eight games. But the Admirals have the second best power play in the league at 21.2% versus the Griffins 14th best penalty kill at 83.7%. And the Griffins have the 22nd ranked power play at 15.8% and go up against the Admirals' 8th best penalty killing at 84.9%. Special teams between these two teams are very mismatched. The Admirals are a good team and their top seeding in the Central Division and second place in the Western Conference are a testament to that. Most of the games that I recall watching between the Griffins and Admirals have been feisty, close games with plenty of tension, and I expect nothing less in this series. It's going to be a battle for the Griffins, who come in as the lower seed with lesser special teams and on a losing skid of five games. In net for the Admirals, Merrick Mazenix always seems to give the Griffins fits, and despite his less-than-stellar stats this season, with a 2.45 goals against and a 9.12 save percentage, he is an extremely good goalie who can steal games for his team straight the snot out of the opposition. UC Saros is a rookie, and I haven't seen him play much at all, but he's split time almost right down the middle with Mazinitz this season and has a 920 save percentage and four shutouts. In the battle of goaltenders, it's going to be a close race. The Nashville Predators farm team stacks up nicely in the scoring department as well, and they have five skaters who broke the 50-point mark this season, while the Griffins had only two with that distinction, Andy Mealy and Eric Tangrady. Kevin Fiala leads the way offensively, while rookie Max Gortz isn't far behind. Frederick Goodrow, Pontius Aberg, and Max Reinhardt are other names you'll probably hear a lot. The Griffins and Admirals had very similar goals for and goals against in the regular season as a team, and I fully expect the series to go all five games and have plenty of action. Special teams have been a struggle for the Griffins all season long, and I'm a little bit worried that it could be a deal-breaker since it's one of the Admirals' strong points. If the Griffins can't keep things at even strength and outplay the Admirals, it could be a dagger in the back if they let the Admirals' power play get a chance to score. The Griffins have to stay disciplined and not get frustrated and let the Admirals get under 
under their skin. And believe me, that's exactly what the Admirals are going to try and do. The Ads come into the series having won 7 of their last 10 games, and have 101 points on the season. The Griffins have been a streaky team all season long, going through both long, record-setting winning streaks, and then extended losing streaks, and going from right from one extreme to the other. They have the potential to come out guns blazing against the Admirals and beat them handily, but there's also the potential to be in a funk where they can't score goals to save their lives. And at this point, neither situation would shock me. The Griffins only have eight goals in their last five games while surrendering 19. So hopefully that indicates that they're due to rebound, bounce back, and score their butts off against the Admirals. One of the guys I'm kind of keeping an eye on is going to be Anthony Mantha. He doesn't have a point since returning to the Griffins lineup from his stint in Detroit, and the Griffins sure could use some offensive production from him. Their fate does not rest on his shoulders, of course, but he does have the skill and ability to be a difference maker, and this is a prime opportunity for him to step up and shine. And he absolutely has the ability to do it, but no, it's not the end of the world if Anthony Mantha isn't a star in the playoffs. I'm not going to put those kind of expectations on him. But with Andreas Athanasiu up with Detroit and playing very well and kicking butt, might I add, this opens up a spot for Anthony Mantha to take a step up, a step forward, and really be a difference maker and a leader on this team. Games 1 and 2 of the Griffins versus the Admirals are going to be Friday and Saturday night at 8 p.m. in Milwaukee. And then the Griffins' first two home games will be the following Tuesday and Wednesday night, that's the 26th and 27th, at 7 p.m. at Van Andel Arena. Down in Toledo, the Walleye split their first two playoff games against the Reading Royals in the first round of the ECHL playoffs last week. First, they fell 4-3 on Friday night, Then they came back with a 4-3 win in which Jake Patterson made 23 saves on 26 shots, including a huge breakaway save just 2 minutes and 47 seconds into the game to keep the game scoreless. So far in the first two games, both Jeff Lurg and Jake Patterson have played, and Coach Lalonde is going with a goalie rotation for now, and Lurg is slated to start Game 3. The Walleye head to Reading, Pennsylvania for Games 3 and 4 on Tuesday and Wednesday. Just a note. Billy Sariarvi is still called up to the Grand Rapids Griffins, but he hasn't played a game yet. In other prospects news, in the QMJHL, Adam Marsh is still injured and hasn't been able to play a game since March 6th. His St. John Sea Dogs are tied three games apiece in their second-round playoff series against Evgeny Svechnikov and the Cape Breton's Green Eagles. Chevy went pointless in the two games last week and has one goal and two assists so far in the series. But he has 13 points so far in the playoffs, which puts him at 17th in the league in scoring for playoffs. Game 7 between these two teams will be played Tuesday night to see who advances to the next round. In the Western Hockey League, Joe Hicketts returned to the lineup for the Victoria Royals after suffering a leg injury. And they played four games last week, and Hicketts had three assists in those games. He had an assist in his first game back, went pointless in the next two games, and then had two assists in Game 6 and was named third star. The Royals are tied three games apiece in their second-round series against the Kelowna Rockets, and they play Game 7 on Tuesday night. Over in Europe, Christopher Ennin for London beat Lulia in six games to advance to the SHL Finals, and they're currently playing against Axel Holmstrom and Schleftia. Ennin got his first point in the playoffs, an assist in a short-handed goal in a 4-3 win over Schleftia in Game 1 of their series, and he's continuing to play well and be used in key situations by his coach. I cannot stress enough how well he plays and how much he is contributing contributing to his team despite only having one point so far in the playoffs. Axel Holmstrom and Schleftia beat Vacho in seven game series to advance to the SHL finals where they're playing, wait for it, Christopher Ennin for Alunda of course. 
Unfortunately, Holmstrom suffered a knee injury in Game 7 against Faxo and hasn't been able to play in the last three games. I don't have an update yet on how serious the injury is or when he's going to be able to play, but the last thing that I was able to gather was that it was a day-to-day. They weren't ruling him out for the entire series or anything. So at least that's good news. Larkin the next one had a mailbag question on Wim that goes as follows. Vili Saryarvi was reassigned to the Griffins from Toledo, yet he can't crack the lineup. What gives? He proved he can score at the OHL and ECHL levels. Why not see what he can do with the Griffins? We knew it was going to be really hard for him to crack the lineup in Grand Rapids, not because he can't do it or he isn't deserving of a shot or because he lacks ability, but largely in part because the defense is already so strong in Grand Rapids. There are currently eight defensemen on the Griffins roster. Nathan Pache, Nick Jensen, Brian Lashoff, Ryan Spruill, Xavier Ouellette, Robbie Russo, Dan Renuff, and Billy Sariarvi. That's a lot of D-men, and it's going to be tough for an inexperienced rookie to come in right from the beginning. I mean, who would he supplant? You'd have to pick Brian Lashoff or Nathan Pache. Those are the only two that I could even see pulling out of the lineup. Uh, Renouf has been largely a healthy scratch and less injuries. And if you're looking at Sariarvi versus veterans like Pache and Lashoff, do you want to risk pulling one of them out and inserting a rookie, especially when you're playing your last few games of the season, you're fighting to get better seating, and then going into the playoffs. I'd personally love to see it because I want to see Sariarvi play, but I also kind of understand from the coach's perspective why in such a crucial time of the year he wouldn't be pulling out a veteran who's played very well and putting Sariarvi in. I get that it's hard for him to crack the lineup in Grand Rapids. What I'm a little more confused about is why he didn't just get to stay in Toledo and at least play because there are defensemen there who I would put him over, basically any of them. And not saying that any of the defensemen in Toledo are bad or terrible, it's just that I think that in that league, he would be good enough coming right in that he could supplant most of them. Another consideration for him not being in the lineup regularly in Grand Rapids could be the physical element. Sariarvi is listed at 5 foot 10, 165 pounds. He's not that tall, but he is very, very scrawny. And especially the later in the season it gets, things get more intense and competitive. And they could be trying to get him to put on a little bit more weight and be physically ready for the abuse that he very well could take in the AHL. He's a smart defenseman, um, so he's usually good at keeping himself out of positions where he's going to get leveled or hurt. But coming up from the OHL to the AHL is a big step. It's going to take him a little bit of time to adjust not only physically but mentally um, in order to keep himself out of those physical situations. So it could also be a concern of the team that he isn't ready physically to go out and play and be effective without getting hurt. Uh, The next part of the question from Larkin, the next one is, pending the outcome of the QMJHL, uh, the Screaming Eagles playoff run, would Chevy join Grand Rapids in their playoff race? And the same question about Joe Hicketts from the Victoria Royals. And the answer to both of those is yes. As soon as those two guys are done with their playoffs, provided the Griffins are still in, they will both join Grand Rapids. And both of those players will also be with the Griffins full-time next season. So when they come join the Griffins now, it's going to be uh, permanently. However, I wouldn't expect either of those players to get into the lineup for the Griffins in the playoffs unless they had some serious injuries. Uh, Joe Hicketts did join the Griffins last year after the Royals were done, uh, but didn't play. And it was just, you know, traveling with the team, learning how things go, that kind of stuff. So both of those players will be joining as soon as their seasons are over, and then that will be on a permanent basis. And one more note here. 
Just a, a minor little thing, really. Not not of any huge consequence. But let's go Red Wings. Kick the lightning's butt. And until next week, that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, as always, uh, with your diligent work, checking out the prospects, keeping us updated. We really appreciate you. You are the best. I hope that you get a bunch of cupcakes and candies and cakes sent to your house and you are happy forever. Um, all right. So moving on to our reader questions, um, we are going to hand it off to the biggest internet monster of them all, JJ. Um, JJ, just go ahead and start reading questions and uh, we're just going to answer them. How does that sound? Uh, Michelle's allergic to cupcakes and candy. Okay. Then I hope she gets whatever she really likes. No, I'm likes. kidding. I don't know. That's, Okay, I was about to say, that's a terrible wife. <laughs> and I'm also certain that I've seen her eat a cupcake before, so. You're All right, starting us off, uh, Dirty Cuba Libre. Got uh, two good questions. Does Advocator fight Boyle before the series is over? Mm, I don't think so. Well, here's the thing, is if his hand is hurt and it's taped up, he can't, right? Right. He, I hope he keeps so, the tape on the hand the whole time. Yeah, he, he should. He or can, technically. The rule is... If he cuts Boyle, he gets a match penalty. So the fight by itself doesn't result in, in the penalty. It's if he if it's if he cuts him or hurts him, right. which you could easily do. I mean, one punch can easily draw blood. So um, I don't think it happens. I think Game Three was the opportunity for that to happen. I think even if the series get even if there's a game that turns into kind of a, a blowout game, I still don't think it happens because. I think we're too far into the series now to have that kind of stuff happen. Yeah, I think if Abdulkader fights Boyle, then it means we've lost the series. Yeah, yeah, and I also think that if Abdulkader fights Boyle, Boyle crushes him. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, part two of the question is, do the players hate each other enough to call it a rivalry, or is this just a gritty series? I think um, it's getting... Yeah, I think it's... Because they, they asked Boyle if he respected... Abdulkader, and he completely dodged the question and said, "I res- you know, I'll worry about the team or something." Like he he wouldn't say yes or no to, about Abdulkader, and it was just like, oh, you know, just worry about the team or respect the team. I don't want to talk about one guy, which is right. which is you know code for I fucking hate that douchebag. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt him if I get a chance, and I don't like him. So, yeah, yeah I think it's getting there, but I I'm not sure that it's necessarily like full on rivalry and it may honestly be at the end of the series um, I'm just not feeling it for Tampa I, I don't know I, I like it I like hating them I like I, I but the thing is is it's not going to be like this in the regular season so yeah matter. like I still have more um, thoughts I don't want to share in public about the Bruins than I do about Tampa oh, for uh, sure. the kind of the kind of shit that that you just that you won't say in in public because it's it's horrible. You wouldn't things. go to church and say it. Yeah. Um, honestly, like even like Tyler Johnson is frustrating, and Paquette is like a little shitbag, but still, it's just like a collection of guys. I'm like, I just kind of don't like, but I. It feels weird. I I don't really take them seriously enough to to truly hate them, and I I can't figure out why um i don't know i mean fuck them still but i I don't want to call it a rivalry yet 
Um, Wolg88 has the question that's kind of on everybody's mind because a lot of people have been hinting at this lately, but nobody really knows, and we're never going to know. Um, how much freedom does Blashell have, or how restrictive is Holland, uh, specifically on the nightly roster? Uh, he goes on to explain, like, obviously, Cronwell and Erickson, you know, they can't sit because of their contracts, or can they? Uh, would they even sit if, if Blashill, you know, had his had his choice? How much of the roster decisions honestly are Blashill's at this point? Um, this is a really good question, and I wish I had a better answer for it because I legitimately do not know. All I can really gather is that I think the that Blashill doesn't have nearly enough control. Um, and I'm just doing this. This is purely by observation. Um, but, uh, I think that, um, Ken Holland is probably the kind of guy who would say, okay, Erickson gets paid this much money. We're committed to him. He should be in the lineup. And I think that's, it goes the same way for a lot of the players. Um, so that's the, that's my opinion. I think that the big money, the big money walks and then the small money you know, or I'm sorry, the big money talks and then the small money walks. And that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I'll guarantee that Blash Hill is not, he doesn't have full control over that roster. I mean, but I mean, he's, I think we, and we've talked about this before. Part of it too is his first year, he's kind of dealing with the, the hand that he dealt in terms yeah, of the roster. Yeah. You know, he didn't, he came in and maybe he had some say in some of the guys, but I mean, a lot of this team was already firmly in entrenched he you know um greg brady actually writes uh for other sites uh, i do he's kind of somewhat in tune and he did say he didn't go into any sort of detail about kind of how much but he did confirm that um holland probably does have a little bit of influence on kind of the day-to-day lineup because you know as as what he's learned is all gms do and you know it's that's not it's not unique to the red wings um the gm is the coach of boss uh mm. they're they're in it together as a management team um i don't think jeff blashill is is you know going into ken holland's office and saying hmm, who should I, I scratch tonight but um holland is definitely giving blashill his opinion uh maybe offering some advice um my hope is that the final decision is blashill's so if there is a disagreement Blashill is the one who gets to kind of come out on top. And we saw that last year. I mean, Babcock came out and said, hey, you know, sometimes he and Holland would disagree. Um, you know, so I have no doubts that the same happens between Blashill and Holland. That's good. It, I mean, that furthers furthers the development of everybody. If they just get along, then I'm going to be more concerned <laughs> if, if, they, if they both think that everything's just fine and hunky-dory. So Right. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think that you hit it right on is that I don't think it's – you know, Jeff Blashill goes home at night and he's like, man, I spent all day just saying yes, dear, to Ken Holland because Ken Holland is calling the shots and I I just can't, I just don't have the freedom to be what I want. I think that Jeff Blashill and Ken Holland are on the same page about more things than they disagree about. And I don't think that Ken Holland is ordering Jeff Blashill to do a lot of things, but I think a lot of it is Ken Holland saying, Jeff, this is what I think, and Jeff Blashill being the first-year coach of an organization that is very established, veteran-heavy, already has all these kind of um, locker room cliques formed, is 
trying to mold the team to where he wants it to be, but not tear it down and build it back up in his image. So I, yeah, I don't think that he's necessarily like totally unhappy with, with all these line of decisions that he's being forced to make. Um, but I think that essentially there's a lot of the right this year. I'm, I'm hoping it's a case basically he's going along to get along. Um, and even if you think about it, the first year that, uh, that Babcock was in charge of the Red Wings, like that was the first year out of the lockout and everything was like really, really weird, but that was not a Babcock team by the end of 2005, 06. Uh, it took a while for that to become a Babcock team. So like, I, I don't think that, that Blashill is going to continue to, to have these kind of questions about where he's not calling the shots. And I think he's calling more of the shots than the kind of fan opinion that around the internet seems to be where it's like he's got no power at all. But yeah, I, I think it's it's easily, I don't know, 70% Blashill and 30% Holland. Um, but they agree on probably 80% of the, the decisions. Yeah, I think Blashill's just playing yes man right now. Yeah, that's a real short way of, of yep. saying that. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Katie on six asked about Mantha and his ELC, which doesn't matter because that's not going to slide. Uh, bus number 13 wants to know about moving forward with Pavel next year. I'm going to cut this off. and I'm going to skip a bunch of questions in this one. Um, because there's a lot of like, what do we do in this in looking forward? What do we do in the off season? Uh, you know, what are we going to do with the draft and free agency and all that shit? And honestly, we're in the playoffs right now. I, I just don't want to talk about any of that. Yeah. I'm very sorry. We are going to have all summer to talk about the path going forward, and I guarantee you that as soon as we get eliminated, our very next episode, uh, which may be eight weeks after that, depending on how uh, how much it hurts, is going to like really hit this shit hard, but I just do not feel like talking about that right now. Yeah. Right. Uh, Rar Power asks, what improvements need to be made to our road game to be successful uh, we trounced the Bolts at home, but we need to win at least one road game. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but, uh, but let's go a little bit more specific, especially with, like, is Blashill seriously going to chase the matchups, or or is he going to, like, let it fly? He's going to chase the matchups. I kind of hope that he lets it fly, honestly. I, I hope he forces Tampa into them getting the matchups they want. Um, meaning... If you have these, if, if you keep the lines the way they are, that the way they were in Game Three, I think those are the, probably the most balanced they've been. I think the key is, and we're gonna—I mean, this is like a, this is the, the this dead horse is now just a pile of dust at this point. But that Athanasi line has to get more time in the third period because I think they present a matchup nightmare for Tampa because they're not good enough that you commit a good like a good defensive line to them but they will absolutely cave in a fourth line if they're if that's who they play against um so if he lets it ride who do you think cooper puts the johnson line out against is that i the think he Zetterberg puts them against or the Datsuk? the zetterberg because yeah you'll go with the zetterberg got, line for yeah, sure because that's or um nyquist and larkin are not they're not defensive guys they're fast but they're not they're not defensive and um Zetterberg is just not the guy he once was, so that's that's the line 
that I would put them up against. Um, if I'm Cooper, I put the Philpola line against Datsuk, mm-hmm. and then just you know just kind of go third and fourth lines against third and fourth line. Just basically be like, look, if you are able to contain the Tyler Johnson line, great. Let's go depth against depth and see who comes out on top. So it would be either Paquette or Boyle against Glenn Denning. I think he would probably choose Boyle up against Glenn Denning. Yeah, probably. Because uh, yep. that's going to oh, be yeah. Advocator's line, too. Yep. And then fourth and line case, against fourth line. In that case, depth against depth, I think the Red Wings win. Yeah, the real question there is, especially because one of the, ma- the basically the matchup we didn't talk about as far as how Blashill is is working to shut down the Johnson line is that he leaned on um, Danny DeKaiser really really heavily against Johnson, and uh, I know the the injury to Marchenko kind of screwed things up, but DeKaiser played almost twice as much against Johnson as even strength at even strength than anybody else, and Mike Green was like really sheltered in that game, so. I don't know if if Cooper is going to. I've, I think Cooper would would run Johnson away from DeKaiser as much as he can, um, and then honestly, it's it's take your pick whether or not we're going to have to face Johnson with uh, Cronwall Erickson or with Smith Green. And honestly, I would hope that he would try to put them out against Smith Green because I think that they would be better. Um, but you know, hope it's not a strategy <laughs> if I'm Cooper. Right. I'd lick my lips about getting shit out against Cronwell Erickson. Okay, and then uh, obviously Smith is staying in the lineup for the rest of the series, right? Yep. Yep. He has to. Yep. Riot if he doesn't. Uh, Larkanic and Skywalker wants to know what's your favorite shape? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say the hypotenuse triangle. Oh, triangles are stupid. Hypotenuse uh, triangle? A, a rhombus. So it's oh, a right triangle is what you're saying, Graham. Or um, Kyle. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, you said a rhombus? Yes, I like a rhombus. Okay. I'm going to go like a, a witch at your house and go with the hexagram. Oh. Is it just because it has gram in it? Yeah, that's the joke. Nice. I know. And then R-Sizzle wants to know what's your least favorite shape. Circle. Tri- triangle. Three Circle. sides, man. That's weird. So not what? even. So that's what? weird. That's not Who even. Cares? It's like left-handed people. That's it's evil. Illuminati. Yeah. Why do you hate circles, Kyle? Um, because usually the Red Wings gets get skated circles around them. But the puck was circular. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know what else is circle? Um, the crying Jordan face, and I'm sick of it. Oh, you can't be sick of that. Uh, I'm it. just kidding. I'm uh, kidding. I actually love it. Um, uh, I don't know. I just. Uh, the circle, it's just annoying. doesn't have any corners. pisses me off. Sticking with the same joke format, uh, Decagram is my least favorite. Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to see you get so punched. Lame. Yeah, I'm, I'm a dad. Fuck off. I appreciate that. Although John Connor asks if a lightning bolt shape counts. And yeah, that, that works. Oh, yeah. You can be. draw that in MS Paint. There's specifically a lightning bolt, so it counts as a shape. There you go. Maple Leaf, Avalanche. Yeah, the Avalanche logo isn't even a shape. It's just a fucking poop. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Red Wings 26-13-5. Uh, what will hap- have to happen for fans to fully support Mrazek and Howard instead oh. of either or? The easiest answer is one of them probably get traded because we're never supporting two goalies at once. No, it's just not going to happen. 
it, it, it won't happen because of Howard's contract. So exactly. He, so, yeah. He's either going to uh, make Mrazek uh, obsolete, which will piss people off because people 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 will not go away from the the mentality of Mrazek is the better goalie. No matter how well Howard plays, it's always going to be Mrazek's better. And so therefore, with you combine that with Howard's cap hit and how much he makes, that it, it, it just it won't happen. Yeah. At least until like the next, until Howard gets traded and then I don't know, Joran Van Pottelberg comes up and he's the new backup <laughs> and then he's the most bullet because it's always, you know, the the backup goaltender and the backup. The new hotness, the, yeah. yeah. We think about how much we think about how much we love Jimmy Howard yeah. when he was backing up Chris Osgood and we just like yeah. can't wait for Jimmy Howard to finally be the starter. And just now, a never ending perpetual cycle and I will die. Yep. I do honestly love the like you. You're not allowed to like both of them at the same time, though. The crowd that's always like, I've, "Where's the Jimmy haters now?" or "Where's the Marais <laughs> haters now?" I have made like, my. I, love I, it. Have, I have made that my like season thing this year is saying is basically just taking both sides, and it pisses a lot of people off, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I want. I I know we're all weird fans for wanting both goalies to do well. Yeah, Just fuck me, do, right? Like, how dare you? Yeah, the goalie that's playing played well. Doesn't matter who it is. Oh. Sorry, I thought Ellie was about <laughs> yeah. to score. That was a weird thing. I saw that. Ellie almost scored. Holmes from ninety six wants to know what's your favorite sandwich. Ooh, that's a great question. Holmes from ninety six always a good question, and I'm gonna go ahead and say the Monte Cristo. Oh, great answer. Yeah. That was my answer to Monte Cristo Fest. It's so yeah. good. It's so bad can't, for you. Jesus Christ. It is. Who cares? Oh, God. You need to take a shower after you eat it because you were sweating. We, um, I'll, I'll do a, tell a slight personal story. So we just, we uh, a couple weeks ago, took our kids to Disneyland. Yeah. Kind of went on the cheap this year um, just because uh, we had other stuff planned on this trip. But we went to Disneyland and we went, we were there on my wife's birthday and the okay. one thing she wanted to do was go to the Blue Bayou restaurant inside Disneyland, which actually sits in part of Pirates of the Caribbean. So the ride starts there, and you just kind of go by. Really great restaurant, and they make the best Monte Cristo I have ever had in my entire life. So I am jealous. If you ever, if you are, if if you ever go to Disneyland, go to the Blue Bayou and get a Monte Cristo, and they have three dipping sauces to go with it. Wow. Awesome. Now, I also asked if you had to make one change to it, what would it be? So what would you change on a Monte Cristo sandwich? Nothing. If you had to, uh, you have to. If I have to, gun to head. Um, Bacon. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I guess it depends on where you eat it, because some places use different cheese and it's weird. But yeah, bacon is, that's that's fine too. Yeah. Bacon on it. Done. It's some crispy bacon, then you deep, deep fried bacon. That's what it would be. Oh, yeah. That's a good sandwich. Another solid answer is you take, and this is barely a sandwich, but you take cheese and scrambled eggs and bacon and you put it between two waffles and that's a breakfast sandwich. Oh, that's good too. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, that's... Wow. And the answer off the table is hot dogs. It's, uh, uh, it's a good one. Lark on the next one wants to know about prospects update. Uh, I suggest you rewind this episode just <laughs> a little bit to Michelle's answer. 
Uh, Todd P. Livingston wants to know what is really wrong with Tyler Johnson's face. So like, it's hashtag fish face, which he's, he's answering his own question there. But but I think we, we can dig into this a little bit more. I think that he just got stung by a really big bee. <laughs> I don't know. I think um, I think when he was in the AHL and he wa- or when he wasn't getting drafted, he had just had really terrible plastic surgery and changed his name. So his actual real name was like Brent Smith. And then <laughs> he didn't get drafted. He's like, fuck that. I'm reinvent. I'm you know what? I'm rebranding, and it just went kind of wrong. But he's like, you know what? Shit, I'm going to run with it. Now I'm Tyler Johnson, undrafted superstar. Tyler Johnson once got into a staring contest with um, two Medusas at the same time. And his eyes just stuck like that to where they're just not focused. And then that's that's mostly why he's a fish face is because his, his eyes are, are wall-eyed and also he has gills. And um, he, he fucks fish. He he has carnal relation with uh, with Pisces. <clears throat> that's that's really what's wrong with him. <laughs> what a what an answer. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, he's he's a real good good guy. Um, yeah. T and Kick or Death are uh, one of our newest writers. Wants to know how big was Brandon Smith's impact on Sunday? Uh, how much of it was dependent on deployment? Um, and then there's a trading question this summer that we're not going to get to. I think it was a pretty big impact. He made some pretty damn good plays, albeit they weren't, you know, he they were just really good safe plays in his in in, in his own zone. Made a couple of made a couple of hits. Um, I mean, he made a, he made an impact, but all in all, it was a team effort. He played uh, he played a really safe game. Yeah, uh, he didn't try to do too much. He he put a nice hit on Paquette. I mean, it was a, a perfect hit. Um, you know, kind of one of those set the tone kind of deals. But I mean, there was nothing dirty about the hit. Uh, he didn't take himself out of position to make the hit, which was even bigger. Um, he was just he. That was the Brendan Smith that we all hope we we get on a consistent basis. You know, he, um, I mean, he moved the puck well. He's, he's a good skater. He's just, he just had a good overall game. And I think it, it, um, it just kind of stabilizes the defense a little bit because he just gives them, he gives them a puck moving dimension that I think really only green does, uh, on the defense. So to have somebody else on the back end that can kind of withstand a forecheck, um, although I don't find Tampa to be that aggressive of a forechecking team overall, but uh, when they do get in on the forecheck, I think Smith gives them that uh, that type of player that can kind of move and help with the breakout uh, better than a lot of some of the other guys can. Yeah. I think the story of, of Smith is you're, you're waiting all game long for the God damn it, Brendan, not again moment. And he did not have one in that game. Um, yeah. Not to say he was perfect, but he played solid and quiet. And he had one play that I thought, like I specifically mentioned, it was something I thought the Red Wings had been missing. And nothing came of it, but the I believe it was the Zetterberg line was buzzing in the offensive zone. 
and a puck came out to like the high slot um, above the circles and there was that split second of this is a 50-50 puck and Brennan Smith did not delay one second before hopping in to tap the puck deeper and also making sure that he had the body played on the guy he was racing with too. So Smith won the race and he tapped it beyond the guy and then the puck came out, but the, there was already a forward covering for him. Um, but the guy that he was racing against didn't have a step on Smith by the time all that happened because he made the decision immediately to do it and he kept good positioning by playing the body. And I thought that was yeah. something that I've specifically seen both DeKaiser and Erickson in games one and two um, have that little bit of delay that makes all the damn difference in the world. Um, yeah. So uh, nothing to play, but it's just something I like to see. Uh, yeah, the other he, part uh, of that question. Oh, go ahead. He loves to play the body and tap it deeper. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Uh, he also says, also, please comment on the perception of looking for the next Lidstrom is completely moronic. Basically, it's you moronic. can't judge people by the standard of TPH. True. Which, you you yes. can't. Correct. Although I did specifically ask Ken Holland to go get us a Victor Hedman because that guy has been fucking infuriating in this series. God, he is so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. he um, makes the re- most ridiculous plays in his own zone. Like he has single-handedly stopped. I don't know. Like I, it seems like half half a dozen scoring chances single-handedly on his own, like all by himself. Yeah, the transition stretch passes and the shot selection. Also, yeah. the guy just fuck him. Yeah, he's hmm. one. Uh, he's huge. Yeah. Operator Z wants to know what's it going to take to get Tatar to start shooting instead of puck handling into oblivion. A trade. Oh my god, I don't know. It's not like this is a new thing, but it's a trade. Maybe better line mates. Maybe it's a trade. They should I ask him? Datsuk said need more shoot at some point in his career. He got it. He figured it out. You know what? If if he does stay with Athanasio, I mean maybe. Maybe that's the key. You just you know, just kind of puck handle until you get it until Athanasiu gets inevitably gets open, and then just feed him. Yeah, it's a trade. It's gonna be. He's gonna get traded. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan Borsma writes some poetry in his question. <laughs> um, he starts off with "Who's a good dog?" Which I like. I appreciate that. Butters. Is it? Is AA so effective because his time is so limited? In other words, the fact that he must be fresh every shift factor into why he looks shit out of a cannon whenever he hits the ice. <laughs> I love it. Just trying to be devil's avocado for a minute. I have a hard time thinking he would be fast all the time if he was getting 20 minutes a night. For shit out of a cannon and devil's avocado, bravo on both of that. That's that's good. Yeah, that's that's good word for play. sure. Yeah. Um, I think that that definitely has something to do with it because I don't. If he if he could keep up the same speed that it's like playing like you know night like Zetterberg minutes like nineteen twenty minutes a night, then uh, the kid's an all star. Because uh, even Larkin, you can tell sometimes he gets he starts to catch the fatigue. Um, and Larkin's undoubtedly one of the best skaters on the team. So. Um, I don't know. I, I think that definitely uh, it's it, and that really raises a really good point. Um, maybe Blashill is trying to keep his legs fresh, and if that's the case, then I get it. But you don't know until you try. Um, so I yes. say give I say give him fifteen minutes, and if he still looks like he's shit out of a cannon, then 
he's the real deal and you need to make him top six. And if he's not, then that's fine. Keep him bottom six. He'll still be effective either way. Yeah, see, that's where I said where I'm not, like, totally happy with it, but I like a part of me is starting to come around with it. That's the exact point of it, is that I don't think that, I don't think it would be a case of Athens Hughes' legs getting tired if he played 18 minutes in a game, um, or him, like, running out of stamina, even over the course of a season. The the guy's 21 years old. He's made of energy. Um, but there is the mental aspect of the game that I think might creep in if if he kind of gets overused where he's he gets frustrated and tries to push things too much and I'm not saying that I absolutely agree with such limited minutes especially in the third period but I think giving him a lot of like honestly you're only going to have 12 minutes to shine you're only going to have a, f- a few shifts I really want you focusing on just being shit out of a cannon for that um there's honestly something to be said that that could be helpful. I think I'd still prefer just to see, you know, what he would do with, with 15, 16 or, or more minutes. But yeah, I'm not totally convinced that the, the concept of, of severely limiting him is, uh, quite as completely batshit stupid as, as it seems, even though, like I said, I'll say it again. I don't agree with, with the usage. Yeah, um, it, there's that concept too of you know he's of him trying to go out and and prove something um, in his minute, and who knows what Blashill's told him? I mean, Blashill may have said to him, "Hey, look, just maybe they've explained to him, look, you know, you're playing, we're only going to play eight minutes a game, but you know, here's our plan for you. We don't know. I mean, he's he's said all the right things about his ice time, so." Um, it's he just it's it's like a change. He's a change of pace. It's like when you bring in a different running back in football. You know, when you just kind of you've been kind of hitting the same thing or doing the same thing, and then you just bring somebody else in that's just completely gives a different dynamic. Uh, it kind of puts the other team on their heels a little bit. So, um, th- there's a happy medium between playing six minutes, which is way too low, and playing sixteen, which I think would be too much for him. Um, 10 11 is where I would want him to be like on average for a game 10 11 minutes I think he can be effective um, he's he's playing better defensively but if you've got five minutes left in a third period protecting a lead uh, he's not on the list of guys that I want out there right away I mean I've got other players that I can think of I'd rather have out there first before I have Athanasiu to protect a lead so yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Ian Oscar W, given how physical this series is getting, would you dress seven defensemen for a game and use one of them as a forward on the fourth line? No. 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 Uh, one, no. if you are dressing seven defensemen and using one of them as a forward, you are not. You're dressing six defensemen at that point. Uh, but that's <laughs> uh, stupidly pedantic, and I apologize for being that way. But it's who I am, and this you should love me for it. Uh, no, I think I would still prefer Anderson over Smith as a forward. I just don't like the idea of constantly trying to Derek Meech people. Good reference. Yeah. yeah. Lancerman gives us our FMK for this week. All right. FMK, it's it's three of the that guys. Uh, 
that guy who keeps asking you the duck turn Grady related questions. Uh, the guy who asked trade questions, comments that have the Wings getting a number one defenseman for trash, or that guy who thinks the Wings need to add another enforcer to the roster. Oh, this is an easy one. All right, uh, then hit it. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and F the enforcer guy because that's just, I mean, it's stupid. And I, Okay, fine. We'll entertain you once and then goodbye. Uh, I'm going to marry the trade guy because you always give us something to talk about and I'm going to K you know who so there you go <laughs> so, oh yeah I, I'm, I'm <laughs> killing the duck ready because that, that just needs to go away forever I have the same answers I mean I'd F the enforcer because you know that's one night stand territory uh, I'd marry the, the the trade because at least you know that that guy's priorities are in the right place even if he's not sure how to get there his end result is what you want him to where you want to be too so you just need to kind of you can work on that over the course of a marriage of all right yes i know you want this this number one defendant we're going to have to talk about how you're going how we're going to do that um but you know you can stick around and goodbye forever to the duck tank ready questions I uh, no, you marry the duck train Grady questions. Shut up. That is always going to be an interesting marriage that constantly challenges you and makes you feel appreciated. Um, you do F the enforcer and you, you K the, the number one D for trash. Um, and it's because, honestly, the number one D for trash thing is... Yes, I constantly feel that the Red Wings should trade away all their bad players for better players. That's just so tiring and not stimulating at all. At least the enforcer thing is like there's the agree to dis- the, the hate fuck kind of kind of thing there. Like we agree to disagree. We just see things differently, uh, and that's like you know you, you you're doing crazy there. You're wrong. So no, I'm I'm entirely. <laughs> Entirely uh, right. Yeah, my answers are wrong. longer and uh, better, uh, girthier. <laughs> okay, there is a future question that we'll ask because this is kind of a a, a good question by ENSRW. If Datsuk really is saying goodbye, which one and only one of the three should the Red Wings take as a parting gift? Uh, a. He takes Erickson with him. B. He gives his defensive genius to Athanasiu, so Blasio will play him more. Or C, he gives his hand slash creativity to Helm so that Helm would become a true top six forward. Um, okay, so I'm going to break it down real quick. Helm isn't going to be on this team after this season. Um, Athanasiu is already fine how he is. So, bye, Erickson. Yeah, that's addition by subtraction there. So you gain, a, you gain one of those uh, defense spots Athanasiu, you can still teach to be defensively responsible because he's 21 years old. And Helm, I wouldn't. You don't. You don't put any more development time to Helm. He's too old and too far gone. So, you know, Helm is what he is. So just whatever. So yeah, bye bye, Erickson. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, but I think that the Erickson versus Athanasiu consideration is a little closer than that. Um, just because I am sure that I, I'm not convinced that Erickson isn't going to get get gone in an expansion draft anyway. That wasn't um, the question. 
basically making Athanasiu <laughs> a guaranteed Datsuk at 21 years old. His defensive Def- genius, defensively. AA is going, well, AA, he's gonna he's gonna develop offensively really well too. If you make him defensively stellar like that too, then I think he get really really good. Uh, Graham hit it right on. I think Helm is too old at this at this point. Yeah. To uh, to basically make give him Datsuk's hands and creativity, that speed would be great. But no, yeah. I'd, I still think that uh, that I would I would probably go with Athanasiu as essentially like because I think if he had Datsuk's defensive ability, he would be true number one center, and he and, and Larkin would be uh, a fantastic one two to build around, and then Erickson could get gone sooner. Okay, Timmy Timmons wants to know uh, first a Doom question: Z looked genuinely happy when he scored the goal last night. Not a question. Little kid happy. Haven't seen him look like that in a while. Actually smiled. Um, do you think Z will retire before the end of his contract? No. Uh, I don't know. No, I think he, he's he got enough chronic back problems that if he gets to the point where he is not effective for the last couple of years of his contract, he goes on with chronic back problems and he's long-term injured reserve. He, you know, he gets that. I don't think he'll retire because the cap recapture would be ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. And then non gloomy, if we uh, whoop all over Tampa in Game Four, does that qualify Blash Hill as pulling a sneaky psychological warfare maneuver on par with Phil Jackson, or do we have to win the series first? You gotta win the series. I mean, it basically means that you know maybe people will start will shut up about him being fired for a couple of days because he made good moves. Even though I, I still see people claiming that he should have made these moves a long time ago. And it's like he made a brand new line that completely shut down a line that's dominated the, this team for a series and a half now. Like Babcock couldn't contain the Johnson line the way that the line that Blashill made did. So. It just, it, I think it should hopefully give people some some optimism and some hope and say, hey, you know what, Blashill, he knows what he's doing. It's just taking him some time to adjust to being a head coach in the mm-hmm. NHL. I mean, we we give rookies kind of the benefit of the doubt. I don't understand why we don't do the same for rookie coaches. Because yeah. it's easier to jump on a coach. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Without question. You got to win the series. You don't get called a defensive gene or a psychological genius for winning uh, your yeah. two home games. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, would you rather fight a Tangrady-sized duck or a boil-sized pigeon? No weapons. Pigeon? No, wait. Let me think, think about this. Boil's bigger. Why are they both the size of the people? <laughs> because <laughs> would you, would you rather fight a, di- a giant duck or a slightly even more giant pigeon? Well, the smaller duck. Uh, I take the. It's still uh, a giant duck. I take the pigeon because I'll have the assistance of someone throwing a beer on him, and then him being just, <clears throat> and then I'll punch him right in the head, and he'll be down. I would take the pigeon. Ducks are way more territorial and mean. Yeah, that too. Pigeon would probably just run away. Pigeons are fucking stupid. Yep. Fuck this question. Raw Power wants to follow up if we would engage a boil-sized pitcher and a Johnson face fish. 
which yeah, Home from 96 ends that conversation with, wouldn't it just look like a normal <laughs> that, That's the answer. We're, we're not okay. going back. Uh, James Weiss, what's your favorite cold one? Um, uh, right now it's over. It's a whole podcast by itself. Yeah, it's over in right now. Because it's, it's, it's out. But day to day, like something that I, you know, could, you know, like normal. I mean, if I'm going cheap, then I really, if I'm going cheap, then I'm always going to reach for, you know, a, uh, uh, like a Coors Light. But if I'm going uh, a little bit more expensive than just day to day, then it'd probably be like a fat tire or something like that. Uh, um, hmm. Let's see. I've, it really varies. Depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But lately, I've uh, been drinking a lot of Fifth City by Revolution. Good one. That's a and nice choice. It's a really, it's a really good, really good beer. Uh, everything from Revolution I've had is, I mean, Antihero is is phenomenal. But uh, yeah, Fifth City. There's actually a, a, a brewery in Galena, Illinois. They make, they've made one. I, they don't sell it here, unfortunately. They only sell out out there but uh, if you are in that area it's it's called i think it's called the michigander and it's brewed with uh, malted barley and dried cherries Ooh, so it sounds really good unfortunately they, they don't distribute in the chicago land area uh, but, uh just to add on one of my favorite michigan beers uh they don't i don't think they bottle it because it's a very very small brewery it's uh the farmington hills brewing company they make a blood orange wheat that will knock your socks off it's one of the best mm. beers i've ever had uh, I buy beer from a grocery store, so I'm just going to abstain from this question. <laughs> Don't tase me, bro. Talk about how awesome Andreas Athanasiu is. We've been doing that a lot. Yeah. yeah and he's yes. he's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, he, he's uh, headstrong and cocksure. He is a very handsome gentleman, and he is very good at hockey. I can't wait has, until his eyebrows catch on. He has beautiful olive skin. Uh, Shoeless Joe ninety one favorite favorite former rental or temporary Red Wing in the last five years, uh, Madonna, Alfie, Tutu, Leguan, or other. I'm gonna say Alfie. I love I love him. Like he's a like uh, I don't know. I just really like him a lot. The, the, I, I'll always remember him picking up his teeth off of the ice. You guys remember that? I do. And he had his teeth knocked out and he just went and picked them off it's just like I was like what an old badass plus he led the team in the you know what if the team loved him though yeah. if the team loved him they would have picked him up for him but I guess they don't <laughs> whatever um favorite oh man I almost said Stephen Weiss just to be an asshole but said <laughs> <laughs> Litchke is up there too Manta you know what? I, honestly, yeah, that was actually that was, right, yeah. that was a good one. Chris um, Tangrady. I I like Alfie. You know what? I I really wish Eric Cole had been around for that series last year. I think he would have made a difference. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Alfie is the obvious answer. Uh, Tutu deserves a little bit of credit there too, especially the the clip that went around when he got sent down to Grand Rapids where he gives that kid a stick yeah. is one of the most heartwarming hockey things I have ever seen. That is fantastic. He played good, he played good hockey for the wings. I mean, he didn't, he didn't do any of the stuff that he'd done in, um, New Jersey, in Jersey. And he, you know, he just, he just played, he played physical, tough hockey, did what he was asked to do. And 
He was a good Red Wing. He's a good dude. He's a good story too. He has a really good story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very sad story, but it's very, very, very like inspiring. Uh, Swede won the comp. Basically, asked a bunch of stuff about Mrazek and his style and his defense covering for him that uh, we already talked about. So it was a good question. We already covered it. Number nineteen has Druin taken over from Crosby as the NHL's most punchable face? No. No. And I don't think that Crosby has the most punchable face. Who does? Corey Perry. Yeah, it's it's got to be Corey oh, Perry. Corey Perry's uh, the biggest asshole, but his face is like so sharp and greasy looking. I wouldn't want to put is. my hand on that. <laughs> you feel like you might catch something from punching him. I always um, felt like Ray Perry looks like what they always envision, and like if they were said, "Hey, we need a generic '80s, 1980s movie bully," they're like Corey Perry. Yeah. Although I, I honestly think the most punchable face, and he's not like the most disgusting player in the league. Although I don't like him, I think Logan Couture has the most punchable face because he's always got the face where he looks like he's making the noise. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just got that like. He's already wincing, expecting a punch. Is his normal facial expression, and so say so he's just fucking asking for it. That's yeah, a good, that's a good one. Yeah, Patrick Kane is a good one. Yeah, because he just looks like a, an asshole. Yeah, he's like mid-level lawyer firm greaseball dickhole. Like especially when he's got the mullet, yeah, and the facial hair going, and you're like, my god, you're a guy who wears like a cutoff shirt to a bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay, I'm gonna skip over Bird Tire because there's kind of a two parter there that uh, that's really good. But I want to get to Nick News. Philpola, now that we're two years removed from him and two years introduced to his playoff hockey as an opponent, would you take him back? No. Nah. Doesn't do anything great that would warrant him being on the Red Wings. <laughs> they got a bunch of guys like him already that don't score enough and are just they're okay defensively. Yeah. I don't know. I would probably take him over Brad Richards right now, but yeah, I I have to say no. Um, there's kind of a, a two-parter that that Bird Tire starts and then the eight-legged eight owl continues. Essentially, Bird Tire goes up. What's worth with the Red Wings one-timers on the power play? Uh, Athanasiu scored one, but basically, he doesn't feel like uh, the Red Wings do that enough when they have the man advantage. Uh, feel too often they're working to the point trying to get old man Richards to score. Why not set up a winger for the slapper? I'd love to see more of the OB Stamkos look. Um, obviously, we don't have one of those guys, but why not try letting Tatar and Iquist or Z do their pers- best impersonation? Uh, quit trying to get the pu- perfect shot and just right for the puck right. Um, one of the things is that uh, Zetterberg was basically firing a bunch of one-timers on oh, the they power They try and do that. When it was the worst that it had been all season. Um I think that they really, outside of Polkin, and they really like a guy who's got a real cannon uh, and is also either forward or defenseman. I think Green's got a really good shot, but um, yeah, I think they lack that one-timer shot. I think they need to worry more about snapshots than slappers. Yeah, I don't think they're trying to set up Richards to score. What I think they're doing is they're looking at Richards as a playmaker up a point, uh, or Maybe not necessarily as the point man because they still they'll still use the defenseman as kind of that 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 really high man. So whether it's Cronwall or Green, uh, where I think they're looking at Richards to do is either uh, if he's got a shot, take a shot, or look to feed to be a playmaker to feed it across ice, 
to whoever's on the other side, um, you know, feed it down low, feed it back to the point. They're using Richards as just that, like the power that kind of runs through him. Um, but they don't, they don't have anybody that can really, that can really blast it unless they put Polkanen in and Polkanen's, he's just two dimensional. You know who might be able to blast it? And I I honestly think that this might be something we should think about is, I think FNSU could do it. I think Blashill, yeah. I mean, Blashill said, uh, uh, you know, he would consider using, honestly, you know who looked good as as a power play guy? Danny DeKaiser last year played well in the power play. Yeah, he's gotten decent time. He he gets a good look. I mean, he's got a decent shot. He moves the puck well. He's good skaters. So he can. The the issue I have with the um, with the power play is they they don't move enough. They're too they're too they stand too still. Yeah. Um, a legged owl sort of follows up on that question. What's your ideal first unit power play look like? Uh, both personnel and system strategy. Once in the zone, basically uh, talks about how the stopping momentum by the blue line and doing the drop pass isn't working and it's frustrating. So, mm-hmm. I just think they do the drop passing the wrong way. They don't do it quick enough. It's very slow. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, they did one yesterday. Cronwall was almost at the blue line, and he stopped. Yeah. And I think it was he dropped. I don't remember if it was Datsuk or Zetterberg. He dropped it to one of them, and I counted, and it was 10 seconds. 10 seconds it took for from the moment he dropped it to the forward, picking it up and getting into the zone and getting established <coughs> Excuse me, in the zone. It's like that's such a waste of time because he had the entry, he had a way to get in. Why are you stopping? Yeah, they they do. I don't know. From a personnel standpoint, I mean, you got to have Datsuk. Um, I think you roll, roll with Green. I'm tired of Nick Cronwall on the power play. I think you yep. put Green on your first power play unit. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see Athens see you there. I'd like to see Larkin there. I'd like to see Larkin do kind of what the the Nyquist role, which is just kind of buzz around um, and get open for a shot wherever you you can get open. If it's off to the side for a one timer, if it's in the slot, um, you don't necessarily have to have a a net front guy. Um, so I need one more player, Mantha. Hmm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with this. I'm gonna go say. I want green at the point. Um, I want green at the point and uh, right to uh, uh, on the other side of the point. I'd like to Kaiser because I like two defensemen on and the power play. But I'm going to mix it up here. I'm going to go with net front. I'm going to say Jonathan Erickson. Uh, I'm going to put Jonathan Erickson in front of the net, and then let's see. So, and then right right outside of them, I'm going to have. Uh, I'm going to put Athanasiu on, on, on the left side, and then on the, the right side, what I'll do is I will put... Um, I'll just put Zetterberg there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, don't agree, but... Um, I think that the... Uh, I actually kind of like the one three one system that they've got. It's just the, the personnel isn't right and i actually don't even mind the drop pass i I think the two-man drop passes is effective um it's just that cronwall telegraphs it badly but i wouldn't have him on the top power play unit i agree with both of you that green should be back there 
I would play Datsuk on the uh, left half wall. I would play Zetterberg on the right half wall. Uh, I would play uh, Nyquist in the slot, and I would play Shane at the net front. Um, I think Shane is a better net front player than Applicator is. I think he does a better job of screening the goalie without blocking shots, and I think he does a better job of passing the puck down in traffic. Although, on that top unit power play, if I were doing that, I would not let Shahan be the uh, zone entry specialist. It would either be Datsuk or Nyquist most of the time, uh, with Green and Zetterberg being the other options. And essentially, I would maybe even consider switching Shahan from the left wall to the right wall on the zone entries just to keep the other team guessing as far as which lane I'm essentially abandoning because I'm not passing the Shea and going into the zone. Um, he's yeah. just not good at that. In my, yeah, in my defense, when I was saying Erickson in the front net, I was taking the Zdeno Chara way of things, how they used to they yeah. big ass in front of the net. And I don't know. I just say it worked against the Red Wings, so I, I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, even Boston gave, up, gave that up, though. Because the problem well, with did. a guy that big is that he he blocks as many as he screens. Even after yeah, I know. I just I'm looking for something different, man. Yeah. And then there's the the follow up question by Bell H. Essentially, the correlation between Mantha going back down and the power play sucking again. Um, I don't know how much of that I believe in that it's like directly caused, but on it, yeah, I do believe that Mantha was good on the power play. He I does. I mean, I, I don't think he was the reason why that power play got hot all of a sudden. Yeah. But he didn't hurt either. So it's 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 tough to put a correlation there between Mantha and the power play. All right. Uh, Shannon Man wants to know about a playoff preview for the Griffins. So once again, uh, that's in the past. Michelle talked about that. Um, who would you rather have as an assistant coach next year? Mickey Redmond, Chris Osgood, or Darren Elliott? I like Elliott. Yeah, I think it'd I mean, be of, of the three, uh, I think he breaks a, he breaks a game down. Redmond's too. Mickey's I love him, but he's way he's too old school. I mean, there's yeah. just no way. And Osgood, I don't know. Redmond would get a bunch of bench miners for yelling at the refs. Yeah. No, I, I would go with Elliot. I think his probably his analytical skills uh, would kind of make him better suited to be a coach. Yeah, I agree. Um, Bagels are for champions. Thought on a Tampa radio guy nicknaming Abby Octopussy for not fighting Boyle. Dumb. I mean, just Idiot. idiotic. Yeah, it's just not worth paying any attention to. I mean, the guy yeah, uses that really... language. It's I hardly care about Detroit's radio guys. I definitely don't care about Tampa's. Who cares? They're dying off because they're, there's this big race in radio, especially to be as uh, as hot takey as you possibly can, as I say that on WIM radio. Um, but they are truly, he's the lowest common denominator. I just, I, I don't care about him. Uh, let's see. I'm not asking that question. There's a off-season question. Um, how much does Nyquist's general lack of postseason production concern you guys? I mean, it's always a concern that he's not scoring goals, but where he's not scoring goals, he's playing well in other areas. I mean, it's not like he's been 
just this absolute enigma. He's been effective in other other ways. He's been playing a role in other ways. You know, he's been solid defensively. I think he's been moving the puck well. Um, I just think that he's just hitting a little bit of regression, and it's a, a little bit of regression. I should say a lot of bit of regression, but it's it that it is what it is. Um, I think he's you 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 want him to score goals because that's what he's that's what he's done. But I don't know. I just I think he's been doing fine in other areas and sooner or later he's got to heat up so it'll be tomorrow yeah like Graham said earlier you notice him you notice him not finishing on a lot of chances but it's kind of easy to forget that you notice that because he's creating a lot of chances he's holding the puck a little bit too long right now on shots and he's kind of missing by trying to be a little bit too perfect on him but that's going to come around yeah. Yeah, he's he's been he's been fine. Um I really don't have too much of a concern. I I would say I'd be more concerned for um <clears throat> excuse me with uh with Tatar right now because Nyquist looks like he's like he's doing well. Uh you know, like like I test why I'm I'm more Concerned with Tatar's just basic general lack of production um, than I am Nyquist because I feel like Nyquist is going to break out. And I mean, part of it is goal scorers are by nature streaky, and um, Nyquist is just he's in a he's in a funk now. And you know, he, but he could he could very easily get pretty hot, and then everybody will be like, oh, he's scoring! Look, he's awesome again, and let's trade him all as well. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, Katie on six wants to know if Chelios replaces Granado next season. Uh, by everything the diggers have told us, he says that he's not ready to commit to that kind of level yet. So uh, the answer is no. I'd like it if he did, but it's 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 not going to happen based on what we know right now. Yeah. Uh, S nineteen wants to know if there's any worse realistic outcome from the upcoming offseason than re-signing Darren Helm. That's a silly question. Um, I don't think there's a worse realistic outcome. I mean, I'll I'll go on record as saying Darren Helm resigning and remaining with the Red Wings by itself is not the worst thing that could happen. Um, One of them, but yeah, but it would all depend on what that contract looked like, and it wouldn't look good. I, yeah, and that's the concern. If you are talking about a two-year little deal um, that's you know maybe cap manageable, something like that, all right, I can dig it. I could take another two years of Darren Helm, maybe even take three years of Darren Helm. If he gets a, if he gets like a five or six-year deal, no, no way, no way. I think the worst possible realistic outcome is Kyle Quincy gets re-signed. Because it's realistic, and I still yeah. have a thought in the back of my head that it will happen. There's yeah, so because- many realistic ways for Holland to fuck up a trade. Um, he could realistically re-sign Drew Miller for $1.3 million. Um, mm-hmm. He could realistically re-sign Danny Cleary for anything. Yep. Although, I mean, if, he's, if it's for less than nine hundred fifty k, then yeah, I guess that's not as bad as like a 
six-year deal at three and a half million dollars for Helm. But um, yeah, I don't think that the re-signing Helm is is the worst idea. No. Uh, Bill H wants to know where does the fault lie with this season's subpar efforts? Uh, throughout the season, the effort level is this team has been below 500, i.e., more than half our games have been played with our players dogging it for good parts of the game. Why is this? Coaching, veteran leadership, 82 game season, players not buying into the new system, player deployment. Do older players not want an influx of younger ones? Does it take more than 82 games to last to figure out what he's got? I am so. I like, and I'm just gonna let you guys because I, honest to God, am so tired of breaking this down. It's the playoffs. They're in the playoffs. Why don't we just worry about the playoffs? Yeah, uh, there's a lot to take in. You, you want my honest answer? It's a healthy blend of everything. I, you know, here's the here's the thing I will say about this. There are a lot of a lot of people that have on Blash Hill this year for their effort. And it's, but to me, there are so many things that occurred this year that have occurred over the last four seasons. Not starting on time, not putting together consistent efforts, giving up leads late in games. These are not brand new problems that crept up under this coaching staff. The power play sucking? Yeah, that's that. That's new. Um, but a lot of the other things that we are seeing that people complain about, how many times did Mike Babcock say we didn't start on time or we have to start time? How many late leads did the Red Wings give up two years ago or three years ago? Um, it's it's a team that is in flux. Their, their best players are getting older and are not as effective as they were. And you have young players who are still working. You've got really young players this year who are working to develop any sort of consistency. And you've got other players that, you know, maybe they regressed a little bit. It's going to happen over the course of a career. Not every year. You're not going to get better every single year that you're in the league. It's just not going to happen. Unfortunately for the Wings, they had a couple of guys, key guys, kind of come back a little bit at the same time. So I don't... <clears throat> there's There's some degree of fault if that's what you want to call it with the coaching staff but this concept of you know Blash Hill took this team and just made them worse I don't buy it not completely the other day in a thread I said that uh, I don't ever trust any fans opinion on whether or not a player is dogging it or giving effort uh, or what level of effort he's giving um, that extends to me because I fully admit that I will lots of times see things and I go oh, it didn't even look like he's trying um, especially with like Johan Franz in, in, in years past where we kind of treat this uh, this thing as true or it's like oh they're they just didn't want it hard enough, or they, you know, they weren't they weren't a desperate team, like like Cooper said. Um, there's just, I think it just fits into the narrative. I don't trust that the players are are not trying when it looks like it, because there's there's so much more at at stake there. Um, other than that, I think Graham nailed it as far as like this isn't this isn't new problems uh, and. Like Kyle said, it's a combination of, of everything. 
but yeah, I don't trust you when you say when you say they're dogging it or they're not trying. Because uh, I don't trust me. Grandma Larkin with a final question: What will it take for Blashill to bench Erickson? I really don't know. Oh, I don't know the answer to that question. I there's only thing I'll say is there is obviously something that they see in his game that that makes him valuable. Maybe it is as simple as he gets paid for he has a four point two five million dollar cap hit and you don't bench you don't healthy scratch guys like that. Um he would have to have like a glaringly bad game where it like was just so <laughs> right but i mean but where it's just so obvious that he is completely overmatched in every facet of the game like that there's just no way that anybody could look at it and go yeah he deserves to be in the lineup and and somehow justify it it has to be that obvious i hope it doesn't happen this month or in the next couple of months I want all of these players to play well. I think it would have to be an injury. Yeah, that, there you go. I don't think there's any way that Erickson can actually play his way out of the lineup. If he um, hasn't yet, then he won't. At his very worst, he'll he'll get put back to the third pairing. Um, but, yeah, like Graham said, the team sees something in him that uh, the fans don't agree with. Uh, they don't see it the same way. Uh, I don't see it the same way, but at this point, I have come to accept that Erickson is not going to play himself off this lineup uh, at this point, and maybe not ever. So, yay. Yeah, yeah what a way to close it and out. the questions on that note. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much, as always. Wonderful questions. Uh, the week ahead, um, we hope that the Red Wings will play more than two more games. Um, what are your guys' uh, predictions? <sighs> I'm 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 torn between going like hardcore optimist uh, and hardcore realist because I think that we are. I think I think next week we podcast before Game Seven. You're an asshole. <laughs> the correct answer is wings and six. I picked wings and seven, and so that's what happened. I'm think, sticking with my prediction. <clears throat> my prediction: we win game four in a manner that we're not happy with, and then in game five, Justin Abdicator busts into the Tampa locker room and stomps all over the logo on the carpet and the entire arena explodes. Do we win the series? Yes. Okay, then yeah, great. Let's go Red Wings. Um, Okay, so for myself, Kyle, JJ, and Graham, this has been another successful, wonderful uh, butterflies and unicorn farts episode of Winging into Motown. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Uh, Let's go motherfucking Red Wings.